my god, that sucks. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so C8's real. <laughs> we're talking we're talking about bulletproof coffee. C8 is the real shit. Yeah, that's the real deal. That you want you want the entire tablespoon of your MCT to be the C8. Highly potent. You'll tomorrow you'll feel you'll you'll see the difference almost immediately. So what's so how do they get C8? Is that like a manufactured thing? That I couldn't explain. I've 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 listened to it a million this times. This is why I need a, a young Jamie producer. I'm gonna get there will be somebody sitting in this room looking shit up in the <clears> next <throat> I don't know year. Yeah. But, um but yeah, okay, real quick. So I'm so I'm, when I make bulletproof coffee, how I was taught is coconut oil, um, MCT. So you're saying it's probably the MCT is different. And then I put grass fed butter coffee and then i'll put a little bit of collagen and then blend it up with a little stir thing yeah that's good you you might want to do the blending before you add the collagen in because it could denature the collagen the blending process because it is it is already a fine powder yeah but uh depending on the the strength of your blender like you could actually you could um yeah, cut through the as small as they are, you could cut through. I just recently okay. heard that. So kind of background on the bulletproof coffee. I've read through all of Dave's books like fifteen times. Since Dave is it Osprey? Dave Asprey. Asprey. Okay. And I, I've heard recently in some like podcasting circles that the concept of the coffee uh, was previously created and experimented with, but he he's the he is the father of what's called biohacking, and so he coined biohacking because he was a hacker. And by twenty eight years old, he he had already had an exit where he got six million dollars. And but he was really started was really a company, unhealthy. sold it. <clears throat> he was a part of, of a startup. Yeah, and uh, from what I remember in his books, and he and got he was, like he was—I'm sorry—he was out. How old? Do you know? Yeah, his first like payday was 28 years old. Okay, so my age, and he got six million dollars, and he kind of helped. He was a part of the the creation of of like the internet, and instead of like staying techy, he went biohacky. Okay, so biohacking—the word is from him as a hacker like getting deeper into the body and figuring out the body and then hacking the body. So it's not like this. It's not this gimmicky word. It's like, let me hack the body. Let me shortcut, shortcut to health. It's a, you know, some people see it that way and it can be seen that way, but the word is actually from, he was literally a hacker and then he just started like reverse engineering the body. So the bulletproof coffee, you want single origin coffee or, Bulletproof Coffee, or now his new company's Danger Coffee. But anybody can get like single origin, you know, mold-free, upgraded coffee. And then you want to use C8, not not just MCT. MCT is going to work, but I think in MCT there's C4, C6, and C8. And then you could be getting some other fats. 
um, in there too. MCT can also go bad. And so I've had bad MCT before. If you ever have as little as one tablespoon of MCT and you find yourself like burping it up later, that MCT could be bad, which is very common with grocery store MCT. And so you want to use this. I just, you know, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it and not have to think about it anymore. So I'm going to use the C8 because like, I don't want to have to think about it later. So use the C8. And then, yeah, grass-fed They have it in the convenient packets. They have it in the convenient packets. Those are a little expensive. But you can buy a 32-ounce from Bulletproof, and it's, like, pretty cheap. It's, like, 40 bucks. And that'll last you a while. That'll last you probably, like, three months. Wow. Unless you're doing two a day. Then about six weeks. Makes sense. And you can have up to two tablespoons. And so a lot of people would want to start with, like, a half a tablespoon um, and kind of work their way up week by week to see what, unfortunately, what happens with me if I have two tablespoons of C8, I already have a very active brain. And so when I have two tablespoons of C8, like I actually become a little psychotic, <laughs> like actually it gets me a little bit too, like crazy. So, so when I, I'm, I'm pretty into nutrition and supplementation and things like that. I wouldn't say I'm obsessed by any means or definitely not an expert, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. I have absorbed some knowledge over the years. But whenever I think of somebody that is like on their game with supplementation, exercise, I mean, I know you've been doing some like pretty, ex- like some extreme stuff lately. We'll talk about the Murph stuff, um, which I would consider extreme one a day is, is tough. Um, but also for some people that wouldn't be considered extreme. I know we can have perspective, but that's who um, I'm after. Yeah. Exactly. I'm after those guys. Right. But anyways, my point is, Hey, you're really into the biohacking, your health, your body, your things like that. I know you weren't always right. What no, I've always been this way. Okay. I've always been this way. Okay. Yeah. I know in high school though, you were I was saying, like this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is, I've been on I guess, this. I guess you seem in better shape now than you were, though. So, like, you know, what what changed there? I guess, like, the pursuit of like the the lean body and you know being kind of really fit and everything. Like, what changed there? I just education. Yeah, and you know, it it really all started when I've I've never been outworked physically on a team. Um. In, in a in an athletic environment, in an athletic realm. I've never been outworked. And coaches hated it because I was always good enough to be like a starter. But it's like the Damian Lillard commercial, the new Gatorade commercial, where he's like, you know, people are disappearing, you know, um, in clutch moments. Mm. You know, that's why you need Gatorade or whatever. And so... <clears throat> You know, I was always like the hardest worker, first one in the gym, last one out. I followed my brother in that. He was like that too. And we just like it that way. My dad's a warrior um, and uh, works with the military, not in the military, but with the military. And, you know, he just, he's the same way. He just, he loves the, the battle, the grind. And so when I realized that I wasn't developing like, 
a lot of other people. Um, I realized that there had to be something I what that wasn't happening. And so I just kind of, I remember when I was like 13, 14 years old, even before that, when I was six, this is, this is about when it started way back when I, when I was six years old, we did the, the presidential like test yeah, fitness yeah. test. Yeah. And I could only do two, two pull-ups, but of all the kids in my grade, I was always like the best all around, um, athlete, like in terms of performance, you know, I could play basketball. Well, I surfed, I was the best baseball player. Um, and then, uh, when I started playing football instantly, I was like our quarterback. The kids were playing football 10 years longer than I was. And I literally showed up in the next year, like I was starting quarterback but the thing was, is that I remember in, when I was six, I could only do two pull-ups and there were kids, there were girls that could do five or six. And that's when it started. And I can remember at six, seven years old, like doing curls with dumbbells and my muscles just wouldn't grow. So I, like, I remember becoming a little bit more aware. My dad would try to like always make sure I was eating enough protein. I'd eat two eggs every morning. And nothing changed ever. I was always weak and scrawny. <clears throat> Eventually, people started getting faster than me. And I couldn't catch up. And then so finally, I like roll into middle school. And all of that athleticism now becomes like a little bit of pop popularity. Right. And so I'm starting on all the teams. Um, you know, in seventh grade, you know, I got cut from a team. I started on a team. Um, you know, played a little bit on the football team. Um, the grade ahead of me there, the kids are really good. And then in eighth grade, like I dominated, I started in everything, quarterback, like all conference baseball. Um, you know, I started in basketball. I was a good shooter, but that was kind of like, that's kind of like the last time that your natural ability where I'm from, like gets you anywhere. Cause when you go to high school, you really got to be great. And so I can remember during those time periods, that's when I started taking whey protein. My dad had these like power bars and I'd eat the power bars every morning because I just wanted to be the best. I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best student, but I really wanted to be the best athlete. And it just wasn't happening. So I get into high school, like same thing. All these guys, it's like the summer passed and they started lifting. They, we come back to school, they'd bench press for the first time and they're throwing up 135 and I couldn't even... I could barely do the bar and I worked so hard. I was doing push-ups. I was doing all these things. I was doing all the things and like, I just wasn't developing. My first bench max when I was in the ninth grade was 85 pounds. And it wasn't a story where I'm about to tell you six months later, I did 200. Six months later, I was doing a hundred pounds and I was taking whey protein. And for Christmas every year, um, my grandfather, he's a captain in the Marine Corps. We'd go on, on base and we'd get protein and I'd get six months worth of protein for Christmas. And that was my thing. And I would take it and I wouldn't get stronger. Um, so because of the work ethic, I did continue to develop as an athlete, but I, I really had to, I had to use my mind a lot more in strategy. Like I had to find my way into the lineups. You know, so like I remember 
starting freshman football. <laughs> I was on varsity. I don't know why. We didn't have a JV team, but they would start. They started me at defensive end. Like second play, broke my arm. Couldn't play football anymore. And and I'm just like, and that was the fourth game of the season. And I'm like, see now, this issue with me being small and weak is is now taking me away from sports. I can't surf now. Like I don't think I was skateboarding at the time. I can't play football. I can't even get ready for basketball season. And I can't play baseball. And so, um, you know, same same thing. So now I start taking mass gainers, like mass gaining protein. Nothing's happening. And I'm grinding. I'd have these concoctions of protein in class in a cup. This was before blender bottles. And I would just be slurping down this protein. And it was horrible. And my teachers are just like, yeah, you know, that's why it, he, he's, that's just protein. I'm carrying around a jug of water, freshman high school, you know, thinking maybe it's water, right? Start taking creatine in the 10th grade. <clears throat> Doesn't do anything. So, you know, long story short is I started um, just going crazy the when I was a freshman in college and um, with working out. I would go, I would swim between a thousand and two thousand meters fasted in the morning and then in the afternoon i would do bod a bodybuilding program but in between sets and some people at aptive that we work with might remember this actually they would see me at uncw gym when i transferred but in between sets i do high intensity interval training so i'm like pushing you know at an 80 percent max effort 12 to 15 reps of 135 pounds and then I rack that weight and then I do step ups like zone five for a minute like hard and I'm doing that for 45 minutes and I and I started to lose some fat and I started to look like decent but still like if I showed you a photo you're like it's not a guy that probably works out it's probably like natural or like I, I don't think he works out and um just that journey of failure for 10 years um probably longer drove me nuts and um finally one day i was like maybe i'm supposed to be a big guy and so i stopped looking at my diet um i stopped doing all these things and i'm like i'm gonna like bench 300 something pounds and so i build up to that for two years i i end up becoming i think my biggest weight was like 265 pounds super unhealthy if we had a jamie like joe rogan had like jamie would pick pull up this picture and joe would be like oh you know like he'd be <laughs> like you look horrible i looked bad like if you just looked at my face like it looked like i was gonna have a heart attack soon at 23 years old i got to 315 pounds on bench press um probably 500 pounds on deadlift and a, and, a, and 400 pounds on squat I was strong. strong. And then of course that's not what uh that's not what God had in store for me. Tore my pec, left pec, partial mm -hmm. tear. Out for um I was only out for 4 months cuz it was partial. Benching, I assume. Bench pressing. Yep, didn't do really anything wrong. Um but you know, like if we stood side by side, like you, I can see like you actually for your build, like you have broader shoulders than I do. Like, um, 
for me being like six feet tall, like I have narrow shoulders. And it's like, I just couldn't figure out like, dude, what is, I'm so, I have this obsession with like a few areas of my life and fitness is a big one. And I just couldn't figure it out. And so um, that was the 20, that was 2020. And I had to take four, four weeks away. Well, four weeks was, or four months away. Four months was too long. So about a month in, I started doing 75 hard. <laughs> and um, I started kind of playing around with what can I do with a torn pec? And uh, ultimately I failed it. But I realized like there's got to be a different way. So I'm still searching and still searching and still searching. And then um, I get to a place in my career at Aptive where I really think that things are going to start compounding like crazy. And I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, I can't lead these guys looking like this. Um, you know. And so the the it it became actually as the, it became less about me and figuring myself out. And I actually started thinking like, what what's the kind of guy that my guys are gonna follow? Hmm. And yeah, I put in the work and the resources came later. And now um, four years later. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a place where, you know, I think that my guys for a few years have been able to look at me physically and say, that guy, that's a guy I could follow. And if not, they will not, they cannot outrun me. They cannot outmurf me. They will never anything from an endurance standpoint like i will win you know um i think that's so important there i think the you can't beat me the physicality i mean i i say this all the time i know all of my reps and friends and family probably joke about it but like i relate everything back to like physical fitness and just how how your body really looks and not like not that you have to be cut. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's just, you can look at somebody. I was, I was joking around my girlfriend about this the other day. I was like, you can look at somebody and tell whether they do hard things. Like you, you almost, probably almost every time you can, you can look at it, look at a guy and be like, does that dude do hard things? Like you can look at him and be like, he like doesn't do anything hard. Like I can kind of tell, like he doesn't like do hard stuff. Yeah. Or you can look at a guy and be like, yeah, that guy grinds. That guy grinds. Yeah. And it's not perfect. Like, maybe other people's radar is better also, but I I think that's crucial, especially, you know, in a sales leader role, right? You got young bucks that really, they want to be fit. They want to look good, feel good, make good money. Right. And so if you're asking them to follow you and you don't look like somebody that they want to be and look, there's better and worse looking people naturally, but you can have, you can optimize yourself as a naturally kind of ugly guy optimized still looks way better than the naturally kind of ugly guy who lets himself go. Right. It's like, it's just about you being kind of the best version of yourself. I think that's an energy that people can read. And I think part of that is just doing hard things. Yeah. I I'm good at compartmentalizing and kind of having a file cabinet. That's like my mind. And so on one side of it, it's like, yeah, I, I've got to appear in a way that the marketing of who I am, you know, which is that 
you know, first impression. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be good. But that's not why I do the fitness stuff. Um, my, my fitness stuff and my health stuff um, is about suffering. Because I am, suffering is, you suffer for things you're passionate about. You know, the passion of the Christ. He suffered on the cross. And uh, the biggest, most important, number one thing in my life is my faith. And it always has been, and it's always been tested. But I, I believe that, you know, we are to sacrifice ourselves and our bodies um, to be a part of the body of Christ. And so when I do hear people have goals of their, of their physique, I can appreciate that. But I had to learn. I'm never going to have a perfect physique. That's not a fixed mindset. Like it's, it's not going to happen. Because I am focused on pushing my mind and my body to the limits. Because God's given me this vessel that can do hard things. Like I can, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm at step one of a hundred of what, you know, I plan to do in my life from a, from a fitness standpoint. And it's the parable of the talents. What you, what you do with your God-given vessel here is a test. And if you don't max that out here, how can you be given anything in the next life? <clears throat> That's what I'm thinking about. So what I'm doing a Murph like today, like that's what I'm meditating on. I'm not even thinking about, I, I, I do more reps in the Murph than the Murph calls for always. Um, pro I probably exceed it by about five to 10% because I get lost in thought. I just meditate on this concept of this gratitude to sacrifice my body to become closer with the body of Christ because of his sacrifice for us. And so I started to stop with compartmentalizing. Yeah, it's cool that I might look a certain way, but really I just don't want to be a liability. I don't want for my people, for me to look like a liability in any way, shape or form. Um, I want to be able to challenge our people. And the older you get, the great challenge is finances and fitness. Like, um, because everyone else can use Instagram and all these other things to highlight all these crazy things in their lives that aren't actually real. But you can't fake your, fi you can't really fake your finances forever. You can't fake your uh, fitness forever. You can't but, fake your fitness. But most importantly, the third F is you can't fake your faith forever. By their fruits, you shall know them. You can't fake that one. So sure, I want to I wanna lead from the front. I want to make sure that the first impression isn't, wow, this guy doesn't take care of himself. But absolutely, utterly, number one is I've got this mind that it can go a million miles a second and just absorb information like no one else I know. So let's use the mind um, in, the, in the sacrifice of this body, okay, to become closer and one with the body of Christ, to do it in the most efficient, impactful, most savage way possible. So that's, you know, that's kind of the fitness health supplement journey I'm on now is 
I've got all these tools God given, you know, what are you going to do about it? You know? So that's awesome. And just for perspective for everybody too, this is a day. What? Of, of, of day, what, of what day of Murph Murph, uh, 22. So this is day 22 <clears throat> in a row Yeah. of Wyatt here ripping a Murph. Um, and you know, the trend has got, you know, like this too with the times, which I've been following, which is really cool. Um, I know it hasn't gone down every time. Probably you've had maybe like one or t- like one or two little like blips, but as a trend, it's gone from what an hour to hovering around 40 minutes. Yeah. So in my preparation of doing this, um, I did, I did about five Murphs before I did this just to get my movements rolling. And by the way, real quick, Murph, run a mile. You do a hundred pull-ups, two hundred push-ups, three hundred air squats, and any which order that you really want. There's strategy to it, I know. But there's a world record for both. There's a world record for non-partitioned. Then you run another mile, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a world record for partitioned, but there's also a world record for there's tons of world records for it. There's a world record for it uh weighted, which men should be in a nine kilogram vest which is what 20 pounds mm-hmm. and i and i can't remember the women's one is um murph is a murph's a tough one because again like i don't believe in the vanity of the body you know i i i wanted that for so long and um you know i just develop a different mission the mission i just kind of explained to you you know one that's faith centered and, and outwardly expressed to lead our people. But Murph is tough because like, if you've been a part of a CrossFit gym, especially around here, like, you know, people who paid the ultimate sacrifice, um, you know, there, I, I did CrossFit for six months in Sneeds Ferry, um, where up where I live. And we, we've had, um, members of ours that have like that, that are military that have died. And when you're in a when you're in a box, which is a CrossFit, CrossFit gym, um, and the membership is mostly from the military community, Murph is different. Murph is a memorial, and so I, I in this process I wasn't just going to go do a Murph for thirty days so I could be some gimmick on Instagram. I've thought Say about you this. Did it. I've thought about this for three years. Um after doing my first Murph and uh, so yeah it's it's really important to me because um, my hometown is Jacksonville my grandfather was in the Marine Corps I wanted to be a part of the armed services either Marine Corps or Navy Um, I was disqualified as a senior in high school because I had an an allergy to baker's yeast so bread (laughs) which is crazy um Another reason why I look very um, inwardly towards like dieting and stuff like that, because it's so unnatural to be allergic to bread, like so unnatural. Um, And so in me doing this Murph the entire time, this is, you know, this is a spiritual journey, you know, for that sacrifice to sacrifice my body, uh, to be closer with the body of Christ. Um, you know, it's spiritual 
because it is so hard. Anything, anything hard enough for long enough ends up, you know, becoming a part of like who you are. hundred percent. So I've had some, yeah. So this, the, <clears throat> the progression with it was, yeah, I got down, um, to, to, to like 55 minutes in the preparation. Um, then we went on our team leader trip to South Africa for eight days, which was incredible. And I needed to do a Murph there and I couldn't find a pull-up bar anywhere. Uh, and so I, you know, thought, well, God's will, maybe I need this rest. Let's, you know, let's take that because this 30 days is going to come. I start the Murph month day one, uh, weighted vest, vest. And, um, I can't remember what my time was probably about 75 minutes or so. And then I came down with the flu for five days and just bedridden. I ended up having to go to the hospital to take fluids. Um, and the crazy part of this, of restarting it, a, I restarted it the first time available. I was 18 hours, no medicine past my fever. And I ripped the Murph and it was horrible. And it was, you know, so that's the reason for the really high time. It was, it started at about 90 minutes. Day two, still really low recovery. Got into the seventies. Day three, got into the sixties. I'm still messed up. I've still got the flu at this point. Like it's still in me. I could feel it coursing through my blood. Like it was horrible. And then, um, then I got into the fifties and things were looking good. I got into the forties. Uh, Christmas weekend comes and I get a savage stomach stomach bug, like in like insane nausea in the morning for two three hours post Murph, and then I couldn't keep anything in me, um, the 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 rest of the day. And so not only am I doing Murph for thirty days, but I'm also in uh, the Live Hard program for the second time, um, the Andy Purcell Live Hard program, and so I'm in phase one right now. Seventy five hard. So not only, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 75 hard is the boot camp for live hard. And right. so phase one is, um, you know, where you had the cold showers and visualization and critical tasks. And so I have a, you know, commitment to following a diet while I can't keep anything in me, including fluids. And I just have to keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it, doing Murphs in the morning, stick to the diet, um, and uh, do a second workout at night, which would either be like a four mile run or um, a, a ruck with a 30 pound. Well, it started with 20 pound weight vest and then it became a 30 pound pack, um, that kind of thing. And then finally, here we are, like I'm past that. Um, finally passed it last Saturday was my last day of the runs. And then all of a sudden I started popping off um, uh, higher thirties, Murphs, unweighted. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fast. Today, uh, I did. I did end up getting a PR today for sure. No, one hundred percent. Yeah, I I broke thirty seven minutes. My timer stopped though. So, I but I but I can go and look at my heart rate and see like when when we started and like um. But I, I had the finished. We finished at nine fifty five, <clears throat> but the start got messed up. Um, something in between got, just got messed up. And, um, so yeah, we, I broke just under 37 minutes. Um, your floor, by the way, in there, that, uh, that was really good calf activation. I can really feel that on the last run, <laughs> the, the, the half mile at the end, the first half mile, 
um, in the second run, my calves were on fire, dude. Yeah, my legs were kind of jelly. Oh, well, hey, I'm. Uh... I love the I love the adaptability. That I was telling you that before we did it. Like when I saw the setup, I was like, "This is an amazing setup," but it's not my concrete driveway with my pull up bar and right. you know you gotta be you gotta be you don't have to be adaptable you know that's me in my world however you know some people believe that your iq um is is your effectiveness with your iq is kind of your ability to adapt to change so hey the world the world changes around you yeah well hey i'm i'm proud that you were able to break your record here there you go with the adaptability the different circumstance so you did 37 some 36 it was it was probably like 36 like 57 36 some so that means what i probably did like 40 ish yeah we could i could go back and probably look at my heart rate um when it I completely stopped yeah yeah i'd probably i'll give myself 41 40 something like that 40 which is a incredible time like I've been doing it for 22 days. It took me 22 days to get into the 30s. Like you've done it a few times, I know recently, and that's all it took for you to Just get once. into the 40s. It's like that's incredible. I've done it one time. I did it one time with Joey, and we used a resistance band. The second half of the pull-ups. The pull-ups are really what screwed me. That I mean, it was actually I'm really grateful to do this today because now I'm freakishly obsessed in my mind with getting really good at pull-ups again and i've never been like amazing at them i've done f 15 in a row is the most i've ever done um granted that's you know 15 like to the full arm extension but now i'm motivated to get really good at pull-ups and i'm gonna next time i do a murph i'm gonna f that shit up that's that's how all this started in short like why was now the time you know, to do the Murph month, which I've been thinking about now for three years. I've been thinking about it since, since, since late 2020 when I started CrossFit. Um, so I did 75 hard. I completed it either a fourth or fifth time on November 7th of, of 2023. And on that workout, um, there is, there's a workout where it was like 50 pull-ups 50 push-ups, 50 air squats, 50 sit-ups, and then 50 burpees. And like, you know me, I'm in function fitness. All Like, that's all I do. I'm going to chew this thing up and spit it out. I'm going to dominate this thing. I'm like looking at this thing like, wow, this is going to be fun. I mean, I've done 300 and almost, I, I've done over 300 burpees nonstop um like in 45 minutes just to see how many i could do in 45 minutes in a 45 minute outdoor workout 75 hard a few years back you know so a lot of people would hear the 50 burpees and be like whoa but i love burpees i you know my 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 sports passion is surfing and like i'm burping all day <laughs> you know so i'm doing this workout and i'm like looking at the workout and uh i don't know some people could overestimate or underestimate as i've just explained it but i'm looking at this workout i'm like man I'm going to need to do a cool, uh, a warm up and a cool down. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to pump this baby out in 30 minutes. And so, you know, I do a functional warm up, which in the Murph, you'd probably notice I don't do any warm up at all. Um, which is by design. And then I, you know, I'm like, all right, timer starts. 
and I'm doing the, the first round, the 50 pull-ups. It takes me 12 minutes. And I'm sitting here like, I actually thought that this was going to be a 30-minute workout. Like I thought, I thought this was going to be a workout. I'm going to like look at it at the end and be like, I destroyed this. And just like want to tell somebody. But it's 12 minutes already. I pounded out the rest of it. Um, the rest of those reps. Um, and by, by the 30-minute mark. So it may have been another like 12 minutes or 16 minutes. But there's two rounds of that. Okay. There's two rounds. I don't know if I said that before, but there's two rounds of that. And I'm like 30 minutes. I'm at about the third, 25, 30 minute mark for some reason in my head. I've, I've got a, a selective photographing memory and I'm like, see, I've, I've been thinking about this and I've, I've, I see like 25 minutes. Like I remember it being about 25 minutes, but it could have been 30. It could have been a different workout. Um, so I start the pull-ups again and it takes me this time 15 minutes and now it's now I'm at 40 minutes and I'm just disgusted with myself like I thought this was a 30 minute workout and then the rest of the reps again takes me you know the remaining 20 minutes and I finish in 59 minutes I know that one this workout took me 59 minutes and when I look at a workout um I'm big on first form and uh like that's what I do when I look at a first form workout because I was you know, I was in the CrossFit community for those short six months and I've been, tra- and I was trained, like they like will train you how to do and think and eat. Like I love cross, I love our CrossFit gym. Cause it was just, I was like the kind of like weak non-military guy in the back, but I was like just observing everything. And, um, so, you know, as a part of that training, I'm looking at the, the workouts and I'm like, you know, high level is going to do it in this amount of time. And I'm pretty good at it. And I thought I was at my peak fitness and that thing took me an hour and I'm like, this is horrible. This is horrible. I should be able to do this in 30 minutes. Like how, how am I going to be able to like raise children, be the man of the house, you know, and I can't do this in 30 minutes. No. So that, you know, I finished 75 hard with that, with that thought. And uh, well, actually I finished 75 hard later that day with an 11 mile run. Um, but I was, I, 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 you know, but I was thinking about that workout. I'm on a plane to Hawaii the next day and we're going to spend 10 days in Hawaii, my, me and my family. And, uh, I'm just like, what's next? This is the first time I haven't had something next because we got this 10 day Hawaii trip. And I, you know, I just work for eight years just incessantly. Um, so I can do this 10 day trip is that's what, you know, the trip was for was that we got through a really tough year at the end of this kind of journey we've been on the last eight years. And it, we didn't even get to Hawaii before I knew, um, you know, what was next. And, um, I just had this moment of, you know, what I believe is, you know, God speaking to me. I was, I was, I was kind of in prayer, you know, and, um, I remember it vividly cause we're handling like a toddler on the plane too. So it was one of those moments of just like, and it was like Murph month. You're going to do 30 Murphs, 30 days. That's what you're going to do. You're ready. And I got so excited. I told my wife, I remember we were in the Seattle airport. I told my wife, I'm like, I know what I'm going to do next. 30 Murphs, 30 days when we get back from South Africa. So it all started with the pull-ups though. Like I was disgusted that a hundred pull-ups would take me 
a, to- a grand total of 25 minutes. I would say pull-ups are like the great equalizer. Like you can be strong in a lot of ways. Like you can even like look really good, be cut. But I've seen like ripped guys go up on a pull-up bar and they can barely do four or five. Like pull-ups are tough. Pull-ups are hard. Yeah, there's not a lot of training on the pull-up either. Like there's training and consistency on the bench press. You know, as if you're an athlete growing up and on the squat. And on the power clean, you know, definitely not on the snatch. <laughs> There's no, there, there pull-ups, a pull-up is a gymnastics movement. And so there's a kipping part of it. There's an activation of the lower abs and there's a strategy to it. So what you saw me doing is like that, that is a competition pull-up. Like that is a strict competition pull-up. Um, and where basically there's full extension of the arm from the shoulder like that, that's a, that's going to be a pull up. Um, you know, I don't know the definition, but that's what it's going to be like in the CrossFit community, which is the only community where the pull up matters. <laughs> like no one, no bodybuilders telling you to go do pull ups. Right. Like I, I, I did a million bodybuilding programs and there's one, I remember there's one program that had like, you know that had a huge emphasis on pull-ups and it was an Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Um, but yeah, when you have that full extension, um, that's going to be when you have a pull-up. But the thing on the pull-up is you, at, the, the biggest key, the biggest thing that I could tell people um, is you want your toes to kind of point pigeon together on the pull-up. And y- you almost want to make, you want to almost get into an L shape at the top of the pull-up. And that's gonna that that's gonna be your your pull up. Um, there's a whole entire excerpt in Tim Ferriss's Tools of the Titans on the pull up by uh, Olympic gymnastic coach. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. And and he he talks about that, and that changed my pull up. However, as you could tell, not every pull up apparatus allows for that. And so it's good to be able to do both. It's good to be able to have your feet back which is going to be the pull-up version of a military press basically you know where it is upper body but it's just gonna be different versus being able to do some kip and when you're doing the kip that's kind of like the bench press Mm. like you're gonna probably bench more than you can military right well you you're gonna be able to kip if you're trained you're gonna be able to kip pull up like a million times more than a strict pull up and that's what the CrossFit pull-up is, 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 is usually a kipping pull-up. Heard that. You want to have some activation um, in your big back muscle, not just the, 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 the back of the shoulders. Like this mm. is going to be mo- like a lot of back shoulders. And it kind of puts, it puts, you know, your, your big back muscle, you know, I study psychology, not physiology, but your big back muscle is, is not, you're not able to get as much leverage essentially. Whereas this, if you can kip, True. you know, you're, you're able to use full body. The kip is going to in- incorporate a lot more muscles too. So it doesn't make it easier, um, but you can get a good ab workout out of it, <laughs> which is nice. True. Yeah. So that journey is dope. You're coming up on the tail end, which is cool. Tail uh, end. Oh yeah. Of, of the 30. Well, the then 30. I'm going to just roll into another 
round of 75 hard. Cause it, at the end of phase one, it's common to just, you've already done 30 days. So you just do the, you know, 45 more days. Um, and you've done 275 hards pretty much back to back, which is cool. So that's dope. You got to stay in pursuit. You got to keep adding weight, you know, never finished. That's the way. Um, so wanted to tie this in too. So, you know, a lot of that journey definitely coincided with your active journey. Um, just wanted to, for everybody listening, who's in the door to door space, maybe, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, maybe you're in pest control, maybe it's something different, but I know a lot of our active guys are going to be listening too. So your, your progression, you started knocking which year? 2016. So 2016, which was the first summer that Aptive actually had a door-to-door program. Mm-hmm. So that was Aptive year one mm-hmm. was why it's year one. You went out there and for how long did you sell? What'd you put up? I did 141 accounts. And I think that I sold for 11 and a half weeks. Okay. That was yeah. about my first summer too. Mm-hmm. And then were you recruiting after that? What'd you do year two? How'd that look? Well, really, um, the journey started before I even like did my paperwork. So I was one of the first guys to do Aptiv's paperwork. I signed on August of 2015 mm. and it was all Terra paperwork. Okay. And I wish, the only thing I regret of my whole career is I wish somebody was telling me about it a year earlier. Because the year prior, I was in a mindset to like break records. <clears throat> I was kind of on a winning streak when I signed on for the next year. Done some good summer classes. I had a really high like three, five or three, seven GPA. And um, I operate better when I'm losing. And prior to that summer, I was losing. Like I'd got broken up with, with a girl. I'd screwed up a relationship with the girl, with the most important girl now in my life. And like I needed an outlet. And um, so actually I mi- mixed up those a little bit. But anyways, um, you know, so I was on a losing streak and I wish I would have done earlier. And so my, uh, is a funny journey so I did paperwork. They told me that there was a leadership aspect to it. And a big part of the previous thing that I'd said where coaches were always kind of disappointed in me. When I was growing up, I was like the disappointment. I was this really happy kid, but I always felt like I was disappointing everybody. And I've just come to realize in my own, just dissecting of my own thoughts that it wasn't that I was, um, it wasn't that people didn't like me. It's that I think a lot of these adults saw a lot of potential in me and uh, I just didn't have the tools to like live up to it. I didn't have the tools to be the leader. I was like the leader of my class, the leader of my sports teams. And um, I just didn't show up and it wasn't on my own accord. You know, my brain just didn't work properly. I mean, at the end of the day, like it just didn't function. So on this like health journey, I recognize my ability in leadership and gathering and inspiring and keeping people accountable. I was always the center of friend groups. Um, And um, when I was in college, a friend of mine came to me, saw him I was working out all the time. He's like, I want to lose weight. Helped him lose like 80 pounds in like three months. Just come to the gym with me. Let's eat every meal together. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. To the point where he started developing his own theory of this. And that's what leadership is, is like, eventually this person's going to move on and with the skill set and with the accountability you gave them, they're going to go do good things. If you're a great leader, if you're a bad leader, they're going to be with you forever, you know, or maybe you got a good thing going on, you know, and that, and that, and that's a different thing. So when I started here and they told me there's a leadership aspect to it, I was like, 
game on. Let's do it. So I told everybody that I knew that I was coming out to do this job. Every single person knew. And I wasn't this outwardly expressive person that I am now. I was very introverted, but extremely effective when I was communicating. So I was the president of a really big student organization that I, that I helped start on campus. Um, and I was always in the gym. Like I was kind of one of those gym rats, always playing basketball. I was the guy getting everybody together to play. You know, people saw me, they're like, okay, let's run games. It wasn't a thing where I was gathering people, but when they saw me, it was like, let's run games. Um, for the non like nighttime crew that like you should all be playing in college really. But for like the average Joe crew, always in the library, you know, I was just, a, I was a leader on campus and I, I poured all of my leadership ability, not into 50 different things, but in this one student organization. And I, I remember we started with 14 and then we grew to, we grew to 40. I was in charge of recruiting with this other guy. And then we grew it to like 65. Now it's like a hundred plus year over year rolling organization. It's like the most famous or probably infamous student organization at UNC Wilmington um, for a lot of reasons. And so what is it? Uh, it was a fraternity. Yeah. And so when I got involved here at Aptiv, I was, I was on my way out of that. I was in my last year of presidency and I knew there was something next. Well, I didn't want to get those guys involved because I was serving them as their leader. Later, if they wanted to get involved, that would be cool. But that, that I wasn't there to build a business with my fraternity brothers. Okay. So instead, I went to all my non-fraternity brothers, you know, all the guys who wanted to be a part of our fraternity, wanted to be a part of what I was doing, but didn't want to be a part of just the debauchery, you know, of, you know, what goes on in, in, in an organization like that, you know, and the, the tradition is kind of like, they saw the tradition of things being lame, like going to a meeting on a Sunday and dressing up, you know, just like stuff like that. So I go you know, talk to all my friends and, um, like, um, my library best friend study guy, like we're always in the library together, like doing the all nighters. Cause we both were really passionate about our education. Tell him about it. He's working two jobs. Um, and he's like game on and that's, that's Daniel Ferris. And that was one Avenue. Um, some guys that wanted to be a part of the fraternity, but didn't want to be a part of the fraternity. I went to them. I got four or five of them together. They wanted to come on. So I was six. And um, my higher up, that's kind of when I, st I started seeing um, those guys get a little bit more serious. I think that me and Ryan Lilly, I had this theory and I'm going to, I'm not going to test it ever, but I just, I, I think it's a funny thing to think about. I think that me and Ryan Lilly, because we had so many rookies come out with us our first summers, I think it actually made the guys above us like, oh yeah, let's do this again. Like, I think that motivated them to want to actually make this a career. Because when it was all said and done, I had 12 guys signed by March. I want to say seven. Going into year two. No, year one. Going into year one, sorry. Going into year one. My brother. Was signed in August. Yep. My brother. Um, my brother, he put into his group on uh, chat for his fraternity at his school that he was on his way out of <clears throat> like, Hey guys, like I talk about my brother, Wyatt a lot, you know, the guy's a savage. He goes to the UNCW. He's doing this job. You guys should go do it with him. Um, so six guys came from that. 
<clears throat> so when it was all said and died at 12, well, one, one entire group just totally fell off. Um, and we would try to re-recruit them every year for the next four years. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of people out there that just, um, they're, they're gonna be a lot of talk and not a lot of, not a lot of bite. That was what, that group. But, um, we ended up getting seven guys out from that 12. And then I was the eighth. I was in an apartment full of my guys. And then I had a second apartment of guys. And, um, I just grinded, man. I grinded 140 accounts, 11 and a half weeks. No, no, I didn't do a mission for two years. Like I didn't, I'd never, the only concept of selling that I ever understood was a, like a one-time thing when I was running a surf shop for two years, which was the previous thing that I did before Aptive, where my boss said, man, you know, if they buy two kayaks, you know, you can give them a little discount, you know, you can give it to them for like 200 bucks instead of the 300 bucks. Cause, cause we want the business and you know, we want to hook them up. I'm like, I can do that. No way. He's like, yeah, way. And I'm like, sweet. He's like, but don't do it every time. I was like, okay. So I started, had to learn like who I had to do it with. That was the only thing about sales that I knew. I'm, I'm, my mom is a math teacher. She teaches at a, she, she taught at a college how to teach math. My dad is like hardcore engineer guy. Like, you know, his most prevalent thing that, um, like sticks out of my mind is like, we don't need these, you know, um, we need people building things in this country. Like we need people creating in this country. We need more engineers. You know, that's how a lot of engineers are. They're like, you know, they don't want to do the gimmick thing. You know, they want to be a part of something. They want to build something. We need more engineers. We need more STEM, you know, is what his jam is. So the concept of sales for me is like, Foreign. you don't do that right so you know go out with those guys we end up doing s about 700 i want to say of our teams like a thousand accounts my team leader did 90 so me and uh, almost me and all my guys almost all of us out sold our team leader and so the next year that became three teams so me and daniel um ran a team it was all of his reps and i had two directs then um, Kyle McCullough was the, was really the, the big hitter that my brother got involved. Um, he had he took like 15 reps to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and then uh, we had another guy, Connor Forth, who was also a huge hitter, superstar. He brought out like 10 guys. Unfortunately, he brought out his 10 guys on that leaders team. And that guy just kind of did the same thing again. Um, and I think that Connor got the short end of the stick big time. But when it was all said and done, um, we did about 3,000 accounts for my second year. Year two, that's huge. And I did 300. And so I was in, still in a college summer. I was still in college. I had one semester left. So that summer, I had about 12 weeks because I did, I did spend a week, you know, 3,000 accounts, three teams. You know, we started 45 reps. We finished about 30. Like as a leader, as a leader, I needed to go and help these guys and show up and have a relationship and just like do my part. So you, you traveled know? to Phoenix? I did. And I traveled to the other team too, because we had three teams. And I just, you know, gave Where it my best you? effort. I was in Kansas City. You and Daniel in Kansas City. The other team was Kansas City East. We were West. Okay. Yep. So it was about an hour. They're about an hour from us. I want to say. Where and were you then, first summer again? I'm sorry, I forgot to ask. Baltimore. Baltimore, then Wh Kansas City. Yep. And then um, we were in Phoenix. That was where the other team was. 
And I just felt like I needed to show up for these teams. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was at 250 accounts or 280, 275, something like that. I've been knocking for like 11, 10 or 11 weeks. And like, people don't get this. People don't get this about like about leadership is that there is a different thought process that's going to happen when you are responsible for other people. And I felt that responsibility. These other reps were struggling. So I went and I, and I wasn't going to change the summer. I knew that. Like I, I'd ran the fraternity for, you know, two and a half years. I'd ran other organizations before. Um, when I was in high school, I was like student body vice president and never went to a meeting, but like I did my part of like, I, 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 I made friends and relationships and tried to help people feel a part of the, a part of the school, um, in my first school. And that's kind of what I did. I just didn't go to the meetings. Um, and so I felt this responsibility to go help them. I knew I wasn't going to change their summer. We had like three weeks left, but I could change their experience, you know? And so I made knocking fun for them. And I remember, you know, the Phoenix team had a hard time and, um, how I made it fun for them is first I need to show it was possible, you know? So I sold three accounts in two hours in an area that people are like, oh, this is going to be tough. I'm like, guys, it's like pest control, simple sales, sophisticated. It's hard, but you know, that's why we, we do what we do. Make it, make sales a little bit easier. So 32 hours, that was cool. Went to the Kansas, the other Kansas city team. I knocked with those guys and, um, you know, picked up a few sales here and there, but I was just out of rhythm. So I had, I had one of their guys come and, and follow me, um, like in my area in um, on back on Daniel's team. And, um, I, I, I think I sold literally eight houses in a row. And so that's huge. There's kind of a myth that started there with that part of my downline of just like, this is the guy, this is the guy. And, um, I was doing all the things I was doing all the things. I was a part of the culture of being high level. And so fast forward the next year, I recruit everybody. I'd never really recruited directly into my network. Sounds like it the first summer, right? Not really. That's not a very sophisticated, measurable business action of telling my friends what I'm doing. So the next year, like I make a plan and I make the list and call the list. I worked, I worked, I worked 70 to 80 hours a week doing that. 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and um, grew from like 3,000 accounts to um, 6,000 accounts and then 6,000 to about 8,000, 8,000 to 13,000 accounts. At that point, we... It's 21. Mm -hmm. No, 20. So 2020, about 13,000 accounts. We had like nine, 80, 90 reps finish the summer with us. We had a really good prep average. Um, my direct team did over 4,000 accounts with like 20 people. And then, so not only, you know... Are I was going to say 13,000 accounts. That's um, tons of respect. Yeah. It's a big accomplishment. I appreciate it. Um, COVID summer too. COVID summer. Yeah. So, you know, these other downlines are growing. Daniel's doing his own thing and is like best. I, to this day, I, I go to the grave. I'll go to the grave with this. Like, you know, um, Daniel Ferris is the best team leader adaptive, like at keeping things tight, at keeping things going at the selling, like the entire aspect of it. You know, he's just from the old dogs, like us old dogs that started pre some date, but definitely the 2016 crew, like there's just a grit level to these guys of never, you know, never giving up. And um, that's my 
that's my perspective from Daniel too. He's just just a dog that'll go out there and knock and do the work and just lead by example and doesn't need the frills of like a fancy routine or schedule or anything. He just wakes up and gets it done and just does it, you know? Yep. That's how I see Daniel. So, yeah. And so Daniel and Kyle, you know, like I stepped into Kyle's downline with Mike Zaro in 2019 and he would really want to grow. And, you know, I just, I could have spent all my time building directly, but again, that responsibility as a leader, you know, I could go recruit 3000 accounts for my team or I could help this guy recruit a thousand accounts and, like maybe he can make a career out of this. And I've always given that like ride or die to my guys opportunity. Like if you want to grow, like I'm the guy, I'm the guy that you come to because I'm going to go to the grave trying to help you grow. So Mike, you know, does a thousand accounts 2019. He ends up doing like 3000 accounts or so, um, you know, that 2020 summer. And I'm getting into this thing in 2020. Everything was good. I was a division manager. Like I would have done 10,000 accounts that summer, just kind of kicking the can down the road, doing whatever. Not, not, not knocking anymore. Do a month, you know, get my guys rolling. That's kind of how the division manager thing was said to be. That was the, you know, what I was sold. And I said, no, like, that's not me. I'm going to go have the best team ever. I'm going to have the best team, most accounts ever on the East Coast. And so that's what I did in 2020. That was the mission. And so we broke the East Coast, like the Damon Downline record um, with 20 guys. At the end of the summer, it, it was less than the, than another team that broke the record. But that was my one team of four. This was this guy's entire downline of like 35 people. Um, Where were you, 2020? Atlanta. 2021, we jumped to um, just under 10 million in revenue, which was cool. Huge. Yep. And then 2022, we just didn't... I noticed there was a change in rep and um, there wasn't this excitement about like recruiting and growing for some reason. And so we had 175 reps start that summer uh, or not 20, yeah, 2022. But like people were giving up on their rookies, like left and right. I, I was in the whole entire Damon downline, the entire partnership. It's like rookies think it's hard. They're complaining. They've been sitting around for two summers. You know, they got to take the summer off in COVID because the world caved to adversity. And last summer they did summer classes to catch up on their degree. And now here are these kids that are just like soft, like truly soft. And I saw that and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So we didn't recruit really well from a rookie standpoint. So we went to um, like 8 million in revenue. And now, which is really cool. Um, at that point, I kind of decided like, so I was going to have a child. We we're, we we're having a child and I, I need to decide like who, who do I want my child to be like seeing their dad as. And I decided I just want to develop this confidence to speak my mind as a man should. Um, I want to follow God, number one. And um, I just wanted to be the guy that I would be proud my daughter was going to marry. And uh, I prayed about it a lot. And God worked as, you know, magic. You know, this is the... This is the beauty of the story for me, honestly. And God started putting people in my life that I really needed, um, pastors, um, people who would disciple me back to Christ, people that I would serve with, um, people in my neighborhood. You know, I have a best friend named Caleb and um, 
he just pops up in my Facebook messages like, Hey man, let's go surf. You know, after this kind of, you know, commitment, you know, and then he starts removing people from my life. And at first I see it as being like horrible. Like I'm awful. They're saying terrible things about me. Um, there, and then there's some people that took advantage of those wrong, terrible things that they're saying. That's not, that weren't true. And they want to take advantage and like kick a horse while it's down. And I'm just kind of sitting here living my life, like watching it from third person point of view. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like I didn't get too wrapped up in it. And I was facing being broke, not having a region anymore. Um, my ego was shattered, you know, in this. Um, but I had my mind and I've been training my body. And most importantly, I had God and, um, you know, I decided who I was going to work with. So I wanted to go back out and sell again and run teams. And I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I just did it. I just did the thing. And it started with, you know, recruiting reps. And I knew the resources would come later. Damon's like, if you go run a team, I don't know exactly what area I could give you. And I'm like, why? So, well, because you don't have any reps, <laughs> you know, like all these other guys have reps. And you don't have any reps, so you need, might need to go with another leader. I'm like, okay. But I go and I go and, you know, sign like 20, 30 reps, year eight, 28 years old. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, we still have a hundred, we're still going to put out a hundred reps. So I'm kind of being a little harsh on myself in this. It's not like that change in, in personnel, it really did change all that much. It really didn't. It was just like my, my like direct group. And, um, well, you lost some reps. I mean, I lost reps, you lost yeah. some reps that make you feel shitty because they're, they're good dudes with a lot of potential and well, they have a lot of potential, good salesmen. Right. And as a leader, your job is to see the potential in people, not nitpick all the little things. Right. And so, yeah, like I see all the potential in all these guys and they're moving on and, you know, mudslinging and, um, <laughs> stealing. <laughs> money, <laughs> um, signing up for things that I pay for that they don't show up to, you know, all these kinds of things. And, um, it's been a beautiful journey the last year because I've been able to, I've been able to like see those people on their way out better than on their way in. That's how I summed it up. I never asked for anything from them and I only wish them the best. And so, you know, fast forward, this, you know, this last summer, I went back out and did 170,000 revenue. 160 of it was in an eight week period of time. Just, you know, absolutely ruthless um, work ethic. And then my direct group, like we ended up doing about 1.6 million in revenue. Um, and then my, our region um, that me and Mike and Daniel and Kyle run collectively, we did just under 7 million which was really cool, but we did it with a lot less people. We only started a, like a hundred people yeah, and we finished like 85 or something like that. My direct group, what I'm really, what I was really stoked for is that um, we had about a hundred K RPR and you know, then Aptiv's like, Hey, that's what we want. And I'm like, I just did that. Nice. So it was kind of cool. So now I'm like really pumped for 
this summer. Um, yeah, and I just think anybody listening to, I mean, rookies, if you haven't done this before and you're listening, like hearing kind of like the ups and downs of the journey. One thing that I always like to point out is like when you're getting recruited for Aptive or sales or pest control or door-to-door in general, it's like sometimes it can sound like this get rich quick thing. It's like, it's totally not. And like, I hope just listening to Wyatt's story and other people that I've been talking to is like, there's so many ups and downs, just like anywhere else in life. There's ups and downs, there's challenges, there's trials, there's tribulations. Hell, there's probably way more doing something like this than there is working any regular kind of nine to five where someone else kind of dictates what you're worth and you're just doing what you're told. Way more trials and tribulations doing something like this. But, you know, as we always say, the ceiling is also way higher too. And, you know, just like, I just want to point out the stark difference. Like, what if you, why I had gone to school, taken a job that your degree got you, you work as a part of a big corporation, right? Or something like that. You have a good paying job, steady, right? I just like think about like how none of the kind of spiritual, physical things that we talked about for most of the time in this conversation, none of that shit would have happened. <laughs> Not even close. Like it's like scratch that you've been able to do 13,000 accounts and almost $10 million in a downline and you recovered from this like dip and you lose a lot of good people and and you like have this huge redemption year in 2023 which mad respect for anybody who's been leading in pest control for a while you know that like for someone in their eighth year to go out and freaking lead a team when that wasn't what you were doing in years as prior, a regional as a regional when that wasn't that, that's a direct regional like right. that does all of the regional and all of the divisional stuff and right. then all the senior team leader stuff to a downline too so right. i've got like a million hats on right in my specific situation, it's really absurd to create a system where I can go continue to knock every summer. Right. But that's just but what not, I want Not to even do. just knock every summer, though. Knock with much more intensity, actually, in year eight than even year seven, mm-hmm. right? Like, like ramp that up. Like, because patterns are hard to break, you know? So, like, if your pattern is doing this, you're traveling, you're helping people, and you're also still knocking, and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to break the pattern and actually focus way more on my personal sales and knocking myself like that's what i think is the most impressive and there's you know there's a lot of impressive things not to belittle anything but i think that's the most impressive part when i hear that that part of the story um i'm just so grateful for the skill set that we teach because you know i was in a i was in a really hard spot you know i had guys leaving i we welcomed a new child to the world you know we have a home I'm in this comfy place where I don't, I didn't have to knock, right? I'm just grateful for the skill set because I decide I'm going to go knock, okay? And this skill set, you know, you go $170,000 in revenue. You go, you know, about, let's say, let's call it 75% retention. So we're retaining 130, 140,000 revenue, you know, of that. And then you tack on, you know, 50, 60% commission. And we're talking, you know, 70, anywhere from 60 to $80,000. I did that in two months. That's 30 to 40 grand per month for two months. And that was enough to get my, my guys going. Like I didn't really need to keep pressing after that. Now this year, the mission is a lot more revenue. Because I know what I'm up against and I know how my family is going to react. And I know I have more experienced reps. Like there's a bigger goal this year, but 
I'm just so grateful that like, like in what other industry, what other world can you consistently get better, develop a skill set that you say, hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to go work for two months and go rip 30, 40 grand per month. Yeah. You see what I mean? That just off yours. Just off mine. Right. Not even, not even as. That's I mean, not even getting into the. 30 to 40 grand a month. And I could have continued of, that. Yeah. Like I could have done that for five months, you know, and I, you know, I heard Joey on here. He may, he's going to make like 175 or something over five months. And I'm look, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, how amazing is it that we can go make 19, 30, by the way. Yeah. 19 years old, $35,000 a month. And this isn't some YouTube gimmick. And it's not, if, if Instagram shuts down tomorrow, Joey can still go and make that. Right. If the internet stops tomorrow, we could get some paper contracts out and Joey would still be able to go and do that. It's recession proof. It's high level. And me doing $170,000, you know, especially in comparison to these other guys that go do a million in revenue, $170,000 in that time period. Sure. If you look at the month to month, maybe I'll stop 50 in the company. But you know what? 170,000 revenue making 60 to $80,000 in two months. In the grand scheme of things adaptive, I'm pretty sure I wasn't even like the top 400. There's like 400 people that, that did more revenue than me. And so it's not a unicorn thing either. So it's uh, unbelievable financial resources. We have this time to develop our spirit, our bodies, our minds, our investments, our life, whatever you want. And you don't even have to be the best. Like, no. I was yeah. I was in the four hundreds ranking in this company, and I was making thirty five grand a month in this company too. And there's there's guys outside of the company that yeah exactly more. So it's like, well, Aptive is Aptive, the Aptive organization is, you know, it's probably it probably is like you know sixty to seventy percent of the market share for sure. The way I see Aptive, Aptive is the NFL. Yeah, right? Aptive is the NBA. There's some snipers that play overseas that might even like we've seen it guys that play overseas basketball and come in and they're like run the NBA. Um, I'm not an expert, but my comparison stands right. There's there's guys there's snipers and other organizations that are really good. It's like the UFC too. There's really good fighters in Bellator and and like um, I'm forgetting some of the other organizations. There's really good fighters in Bellator like One FC some other organizations, but the UFC has got like. 90% of the talent and the revenue, whatever, all that stuff, right? It's the same thing. Aptive is the NFL, yeah. right? So what you're doing on average in Aptive is a good barometer, I think. Um, and it's, uh, I think, I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's like, think college football, we're the SEC. Right. Like and there's killers in other exactly. conferences, but we're the SEC. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, if it's surfing, like we're the WSL. Yeah. There's a probably a few guys in the Outer Banks on the North Shore of Oahu, down in maybe Brazil, that aren't pro, that can just rip some crazy airs and score 10 ways, but they're not competing. Yeah, also... They're not on the W... They're not... Well, maybe they are showing Maybe up. they are competing, but they're using the WSL to compete with, and they're getting... They're using the WSL Well, the, the WSL is like the organization, right? right? The guys who are showing up that want to be a part of the best. Yeah. I'm just even saying in pest control. Yeah. Top guys that aren't in Aptive or selling Aptive service. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, um, but yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you too, maybe this is, you know, kind of moving towards wrapping up, but 
two rookies, right? You've been doing this for eight years. So I think this is an interesting thing. I want people to listen to this that haven't sold before and that are going out, whether they're in my group or your group or any group knocking doors. And again, it doesn't have to be pest control either. I'll say this confidently. I will say this a thousand times again on this podcast. I think everybody that's young, even if you're not young, but if you're 24 and younger, you should go sell something door to door, even if it's for three or four months, because it makes you a better person. Um, the money is cool. If you might not even make great money in your first three or four months though, like we don't hide that. Right. But you can, and, and, you know, I think with proper training, you probably will, but, um, makes you a, a better person. So to all those people that might be considering it or maybe not yet, but they're open to change and open-minded, like what is, what are some nuggets or maybe it's one nugget that you would give guys that are considering it or committed and going into their first kind of season of knocking? What are some things that you've learned in your eight years that, you know, you think are most important for those guys to hear? If you're on the fence, average American lives 80 years. We're talking three months. If you can't do this for three months, like you ain't us. Like you're never, you're, you're never going to be a one percenter. If you can't figure out how to do anything for three months, you're never going to be a one percenter. You have a limited mindset. You have a fixed mindset. You don't have a learning mindset. You don't have humility. Like I was pre-law. I wanted to go to a very prestigious law school. I had the humility to realize, hmm, sales, talking to strangers, upper class neighborhoods. That's tough. I think I can get something out of this, you know, and that's not dogma. It is from my own lens of the world, but you know, when it's, when it, when all, when it's all said and done in 40, 50 years from now, I'm going to be, I'm personally going to be really proud of the mind and the body and the spirit, the relationship with God and the wealth that I've developed. And I know that I'm on that path, you know, regardless of where we all are in the journey. So you got to have the humility to just jump in, do it, you know, and, and learn from it and learn how to make it something, learn how to enjoy it. Steve Jobs is misquoted by saying, um, do what you love. He, he never said, do what you love. He said, learn to do what you love. If you can learn how to enjoy your day-to-day in a summer doing this job, you can learn how to enjoy doing anything. And I guarantee you, whatever your, whatever your dream job is, the responsibility is going to come first. And it's going to be 10x what the income is going to be. And what the gratification is going to be. You're going to get there and you're going to realize, I'm not qualified for this. This is insanity. I can't do this. I can help you with that. You come sell with me this summer. I I can train your mindset to realize not being qualified, but still being responsible for something is normal. Michael Jordan, he goes in the NBA. The old school NBA. Rookie of the year. Pretty sure he averaged over like 30 points a game. Was he qualified when he showed up? No. But he learned in that season. Now, if you're like all in, you're trying to make the best of this summer. Um, I've been the best adaptive in a few things. Um, And I can be backed up on this. But in 2016... I don't know another rookie that signed 12 reps, okay? And 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 finished 
as many reps as I did and did the amount of accounts, right? There's some stat there for sure that like I was the best in. And that produced a good sales summer, 140 accounts. You, you come sell 141 accounts with us this summer, you hit team leader. The experience moving forward is, is vastly different from a kid that does 60K, okay? And so come sell with your friends, like get your friends involved. You want to control how good you do this summer? Control your environment first. A controllable that I realized going into my first summer was I was kind of being harassed by somebody that was going to be on my team. And I'm like, I don't want to live with that guy. So I'm going to take control of my apartment. And I and I brought out friends. That's the only reason why I brought out my friends was I wanted to make sure that like I could eat my eggs in the morning and I could use the restroom when I needed to. And like there wasn't going to be some just like pot smoking or something going on in my apartment. That's why, that's why I did that. So I controlled my environment. I brought reps out. I didn't know it was, what it was going to become. And I, I grinded. I did as best as I possibly could. I know I, I gave it everything I had. And it ended up being a $20,000 summer. It was, it was good enough. You know, so I was the best, you know, rookie recruiter, you know, I think that summer, you know, signed, start, finished, reps, accounts, just somewhere along the lines. And by the I, way, just quick input to, to how Aptive has progressed. You know, you do what you did back then now, and that 20K is like almost a hundred. Probably more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look back at that, but we, you know, it's, we, and it's not, and it's not like a spite thing. I'm just saying, Hey, that's cool how we've progressed, right? It's, it's really cool how now if you had a Wyatt now in 2024, weird to say, uh, in 2024, that's like, Hey dude, I'm all in, I'm going to recruit. I'm going to get this everything I got. Like there ain't nowhere else on earth. Yeah. Unless you start a company and you have like this crazy idea and you actually like bring it to fruition and sell it. There's nowhere else on earth that you could just come up with an idea of, okay, I'm going to commit to a goal. I'm 21 in college. Yeah. Right. I'm going to recruit 10 of my friends. Eight of them are going to come out. Right. And, and not because you want to make money off of them because you want to sell with them and have fun with them and work with them. Right. And control your environment, like you said. If you want to be successful, the number one thing you're looking at is, who do I spend the most time with? If you spend 24 hours a day for three months this summer with with a group of people, like, don't you want to have some say in, in the people that you're around? That's the difference between a, being a thermostat and a thermometer. Are you going to show up and just be reactive? Or are you going to be a thermostat and say, I'm going to control my environment, either, either by being so disciplined in that apartment that you were unf withable, which I was also that summer and all of my summers. Like you, you can't get in my head. It's like that ice bath that we did. You can't get in my head. I had to make myself get out. I was going to sit in there for 10 minutes, but I, I told myself, I'm like, it's 39 degrees. Like, would it be responsible for me to, you know, let my ego take over and alpha dog right now and sit here for 10 minutes? No. Okay. Five and a half minutes is probably enough. Let's, let's get out of the water. Right. Like you can't, you, you, you can't get in my head, right? That's one way. The other way is be competitive. Don't be a loser. Like bring out the guys that you, that you grew up playing sports with. Go actually do something. This is the only place that you're going to be able to be this viciously competitive. Have this level of freedom, the Wim Hof level of freedom when he was a squatter for eight years in the Netherlands or in Germany, wherever he was, Right. You have that freedom, but that freedom here also means like 
financial advancement. Yeah. Where else are you so free with the ability to have financial advancement, you know? Yeah. And, and if you don't, if you've never like really looked into the financials of it and, and, you know, you might even coming out to sell, you might need to review it again. Like truthfully, it's, it can, it, it can be life-changing. And even if you have a mediocre summer now, it's great pay and way better pay than anything else you're going to be doing over your summertime. Another point I just want to bring up too, is like for the, for the fence sitters or for guys that like know active guys or other door to door guys and, you've kind of written it off maybe, or you just kind of like are looking on the fringes. It's like, I think deep down, a lot of the guys in today's society want to be like the Jocko Willings or the David Goggins or the, the Joe Rogans or people that like are, have a lot of sway and influence in society. Um, Andrew Huberman, like all these things. What you have to understand, and in my opinion is how I see it. What you have to understand is that those men, and I think those are all great men. I like, I, I respect those men. Uh, those men, they had years and years and years of a craft and working on and perfecting a craft. And, and whether that's Joe Rogan with kickboxing and being like a national championship kickboxer or David Goggins in the, in the seals, right? Like he didn't, those, that level of respect and that freedom doesn't just come out of nowhere. If you're not an outstanding athlete or if you're not going to be on TV, like Joe Rogan, if you're, if you're not going to be like a, a neuroscientist at Stanford, like Andrew Huberman, knocking doors and selling pest control gives you a, a vehicle to be great, right? Like if you're not going to be a professional athlete, you're not going to be a professional entrepreneur and start a business and make millions of dollars. You're not going to be like a brain surgeon that turns podcaster, right? Like those are all extraordinary things. You can be extraordinary, but the cool thing about knocking doors is it gives you a vehicle to be extraordinary, have a story, build your life. And then, and then you can go on to do great things that you want to do, right? So that, that's why I love this industry. And think about this. How many high school football players are there that are one that would love to go play in the NFL, right? Plenty. And then how, what, are, what is the percentage of them that make it? It's like zero. Okay, yeah. Okay, <laughs> now think like, okay, how many people are just in like regular business corporate America, right? Like millions, millions. And they're all trying to get to this, you know, similar spot, right? I've, 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 I've said this a few times um, and people have heard me say this before. There's only, we're only competing with like 3000 people in this industry, in this entire industry. Yeah. Maybe, How many guys go work for a bank four. and want to make three, 400 K at some point in their life, never even come close. Yeah. And so, and, and really in that, in that, it's not that they don't hit a, their financial goals, those guys. It's that what they thought the life would be at three to 400,000 is actually, it, it, it's there at 200,000 usually is what I found, right? And so when they get there, they're okay. That's why, well, it's not that they're incapable or that the opportunity isn't there for these guys in those corporate roles. It's that what they thought they needed, they, they needed, usually need about half. And it's similar in this industry. Like in order to go and like lease a really cool car, like you don't need to make a hundred grand. You need to make like probably 50, you know? And then the last thing that I would just say, if you're coming out to sell, you're all in. The second thing that I've kind of, I was kind of the best in at one point. And when I say kind of the best or the best, I'm always talking like top five or 10, you know, so there is some, you know, um, I'm a stats guy. So there's always some margin of error. So, um, yeah. So first summer to second summer, I went from 140 accounts to over 300 accounts and I was the second most improved. I think that I was, I was the most improved, but I think that I kind of got snubbed um, because I've always kind of been the guy to get snubbed. Daniel laughs about this a lot. He's like, Daniel, Daniel's like kept track of the snubs. 
<laughs> like um, everybody got invited to Utah after our first summer. I didn't. I'm like, what? <laughs> I literally brought out this entire team. I did 140 accounts. I was like number six rookie in our whole entire division. Like you're bringing the number 15 guy, the potential guy, right? That doesn't work hard. Anyways. And so, you know, I've had that big, massive sales jump. You know, I've been a top, you know, sales jumper, <laughs> improver. And then I've, I've performed in the top 10 a lot um, at Aptive on a day-to-day. -day, and I've been top 10 countless times for the month, you know, and um, I just haven't strung together a whole summer. You know, it's, I'm on a different, you know, I've always been on a different path of leadership and recruiting and growing. And um, I'll tell you, like, you got to do the training. The difference between my first and second summer was I just did the training I was supposed to do preseason before my first summer the, in, in, in their modern day called like the accelerates. Um, but I just did the weekly trainings and took notes. And then now when I'm going out to this first summer, there's some awareness of, oh, this is a situation of a bandwagon close. Like they know the neighbors that I'm talking about, you know, so I would bandwagon close or. I would see them nodding their head with me in that higher level of awareness from Vess's nonverbals 2016 training. I mean, I remember it to this day. You, you were watching me watch a training video this morning. Oh, they're nodding their head with me. That's a buying sign. Let me see if I could close here. You guys are going to be here today, right? And they're like, yeah, we'll be here. I was like, okay. Would you want me to do the garage while we're here with those ants? And they're like, is, is it extra? And I'm like, no it worked. No, you know, we already got the products on the truck. We'll do it. What's your name? It's John. Oh, John, I'm Wyatt. I'm going to be your new bug guy. Oh yeah. That sounds great. Sign him up. And I'm like, what? I can't believe that actually works. Right. So just do all the training. And, um, if it doesn't work, do it again, you know, um, do it again. You know, I, I I'll finish with my whole spiel, I guess with this, if you're trying to figure out like the one thing of the murfing or faith, or we've talked about selling or recruiting or growing or anything that we've talked about here in this meeting, if you're looking for the one thing, it's not the little tiny things that I've said or other people have said, okay, it's this one thing. It's 10 years. Like I, I started talking to my guys, my division managers about this, like, Let's let's reevaluate where we're at in, in year 10. Can, can we just like skip the drama, the complaining about pay, the not getting paid for the work I didn't do, right? Like, can we just skip all this and let's just reevaluate at year 10, like what we're doing here? Can we do that? And I had a few guys say, yeah, let's, that's really smart. And I gave him a book that talked about it. Um. The answer is always 10 years. Do it for 10 years. If you can't keep up after one, something you're doing isn't sustainable enough to get you to year 10. So you need to focus on the recovery, slow it down, maybe more consistency over intensity. Don't talk to me if you're not doing something for 10 years. So if you're on the path of 10 years, like I will talk to you about your fitness. I will talk to you about, you know, and, and obviously for faith, it's eternity. It's for the rest of your life, you know, but if you're, if you're trying to go for this goal where you don't have like a decade in mind, you're not, you're not like in pursuit of the development of mastery. And so if you're not in the pursuit of the same thing I'm in pursuit of, yeah, none of this makes any sense. 
our conversation is not going to go anywhere. If you're looking for the next good thing all the time, like I'm not your guy. I'm just not because I'm, I'm, I'm looking for 10 years trying to do something. I'm trying to do 10 years of live hard, 10 years of 75 hard. You know, I'm on year four or five of doing 75 hard. I'm on year three of doing live hard, you know, like I'm after 10 years. So if you're looking for the one thing, it's 10 years. Like that's how you become the master. You don't want to be, you know, just floating around in life, not the master of nothing, right? Like become the master of a few things. I see these guitars. 10 years of guitar would be really fun. <laughs> Wise words from Wyatt. Well, thanks for coming today. Had fun. Had fun with the Murph. It sucked, but it was fun. It sucks. I love it. That's what we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Journey's inspired me for sure. Hopefully that hits with some guys that are planning on coming out and selling for the first time. And hopefully they're starting their, their 10 year journey too. But appreciate you being here, dude. Had a lot of fun. And uh, let's rip it in 2024. Thanks, Rob.